0: Good morning. As uh, Brother Matt mentioned, we're starting a new series this morning, and we've entitled the series Spiritual Discipline. We'll spend a little time defining what discipline and what spiritual discipline means, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the Bible has to say about it. We'll also talk about uh, maybe some of the things that we're going to hear over the next seven or eight weeks. So when you think about spiritual discipline, I was uh, at supper with my family last night, and I said, well, what do you think the word discipline really means? What does that word mean? And, uh, and Callie said, well, it's, it's punishment. It's when I do something wrong, you discipline me. And I said, well, that could be, could be one of those things, but that's really not the meaning of the word discipline. We want to separate that today. Sheila said control, and yeah, that, that could be a part of it. Webster defines it this way. It says it's a systematic systematic instruction intended to train a person, sometimes literally called a disciple, in a craft, a trade, or other activity, or to follow a particular code of conduct or order. So a lot of times my general superintendent will come up to me and he'll say, I hired a new guy to work in the field. He's really top-notch. He's really a good guy. And my question will be, well, what discipline is he? Is he a plumber? Is he a pot fitter? Is he a sheet metal worker? What is his discipline? What's his craft? What's his trade? And that's that's part of what that definition means. A discipline can be a craft or a trade. But when we talk about the discipline or the definition of the discipline that we're going to talk about this morning, we're really talking about that code of conduct or order part of it. Another thing you can look at is that systematic instruction. You can really replace that with the, with the concept of exercise. And the Bible uses discipline and exercise depending on some translational differences. On one of the passages that was on the front of the screen, it said, Exercise thyself unto godliness. Another translation used the words discipline thyself toward godliness. And so those words are kind of interchangeable. And we'll start thinking about... A routine, a systematic routine that we need to get into in the form of discipline. Punishment is actually something that happens when we, as a negative influence, when we don't obey some type of code of conduct. So if you have a code of conduct in your home and your child disobeys that or goes against that, one of the ways that you can enforce that discipline is through punishment. You can also enforce it through positive affirmation. And tell people they did a good job. You can you, you compliment people when they behave, when your child behaves the way that you want them to. Or you can punish them in the form of negative influences on that discipline. <clears throat> you might also... If we, so when we add the word spiritual discipline to the word discipline, using that same definition, I've taken out some stuff here, but... Uh, it's systematic instruction intended to train a person, sometimes literally called a disciple, to follow a particular code of conduct called godliness. So when we think about spiritual discipline that we're going to be talking about over the next seven or eight weeks, it's this exercise or this systematic routine that we need to get into that moves us toward Godliness. And in fact, that's what the scripture says there in 2 Timothy chapter four, and we're going to read that in a minute. Will you bring that up in the back for me, man? Just hit the blank so I can, so I can see it, without having to turn around. So, spiritual discipline is just this repetitive activity that moves us to be more like Christ, or moves us moves us towards godliness. Another definition that will work just as well. That's not Webster's; that's mine. So uh, it's just, just getting in this routine, doing the right things that move us towards being more Christ-like or being more godly. Jesus commands it. In fact, there's an entire book written on spiritual discipline that uses this verse as the, um, the basis for the book. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The key phrases are there is learn from me. That's what a disciple is. The word disciple literally means a learner. So if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to have spiritual discipline, if we're going to be moving towards godliness, then we need to be learning to be more like Christ. We need to be a disciple of Christ. That's what what it means. The Bible says in Romans 8, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the Bible tells us that from the very beginning it was preordained that in order for us to be saved, we're going to have to be more like the image of Christ. We're going to have to be Christ-like. We're going to have to be godly. That was from the very beginning at the fall of man. So this word disciple, in Luke chapter 6, it says, "...a disciple is not above his teacher." But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So again, disciple is a learner. So if we're going to be perfectly trained, we're going to learn to be like Christ. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28. So he says, Not only are we to be disciples, but it's our duty to go find more, that we're to be out there trying to find other people that want to be Christ-like, that want to follow Jesus, that want to be a disciple. Now sometimes the word, there's other words that come up, motivation might come up, the word willpower usually secularly gets uh, thrown in, self-discipline gets thrown in as you start talking about these things. the interesting thing about motivation is it can be a positive and it can be a negative. So when you think about motivation, you could be motivated to do things that are worldly, and that would fall in direct opposition to spiritual discipline. You can also be motivated to do things that are spiritual, because of association with other Christian folks and doing Christian things. And hopefully the sermon of the morning will motivate you towards doing spiritual things. That's the purpose this morning. So let's look at the, and the word willpower. To me, this is my definition, Is really just a matter, is a measurement of your discipline. The more discipline I have, the more, the more willpower I have to fight off the motivations that might go in a negative direction against me. So the reference this morning was to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I think I said 2 Timothy a minute ago. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So we stop right if we stop right there, what the, uh, the writer is telling uh, Timothy there is there's going to be some things in the world that are going to try to draw you away. There's going to be some people that are tricking, that are trying to trick people, that are trying to trick the brethren. There's going to be things in the world that are going to draw them. That motivation of the world is going to try to draw them away from being a disciple and from being a follower. And he's, he's got a solution to that here at the end of the verse, and that's really the text of the morning. It says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So we think about spiritual discipline we think about this exercising towards godliness. It's important for us to realize that it's vital to fend off all that stuff that's up there. Bad conscience, bad people, things that are going to happen in the world, people that are trying to teach the wrong things. How are you going to do that if you don't understand and if you're not spiritually disciplined in your life? If your root is not in God's Word and and you're not spiritually disciplined, then all of that stuff that he talks about will cause you, as he says, some some will depart from the faith. Some will leave the church. Some will walk away from Jesus because they're not spiritually disciplined. They're not exercising themselves towards godliness. Some other translations of that little key verse there, exercise thyself rather unto godliness in the King James Version. The version that we just read, train yourself for godliness, the, NI, the NET, train yourself to be godly, and then discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness out of the NASB. <clears throat> so again, discipline, exercise, train, In that definition that we first talked about when we talked about discipline, all of those words were in there, and all those words are important in a little different context. We need to be training ourselves. We need to be exercising. Exercise means something that's a routine that you're doing all the time. If you want to lose weight, you don't go do push ups one day and then weight's gone, right? In fact, there was a commercial I just saw the other day where the genie is granting wishes, and the first wish is the guy says, I want to get rid of the spare tire, and she takes the spare tire off the back of the car. And he said, No, this one. And at the end of the commercial, he says, no, I still want that first wish. And she's riding on the top of the car, and he's running down the street behind the car because, you see, you don't just get rid of the spare tire because you exercise one time. It's, it's something you've got to do all the time. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So when we talk about godliness, I think it's important to understand a little bit about that because it says godliness is profitable to all things. That's probably the only thing I know that's the only thing I know in this world that's profitable to all things, and that's godliness. I don't think you can take godliness to extreme. I don't think you can be too godly. You know, you can overindulge in a lot of things, but godliness is not probably not one of them. Godliness leads to temperance and frugality, and through that you have better health mentally and physically. Godliness gives you just views of the truth. So if we're godly, if we're, if we're looking into God's Word for what is really true and what's, what's important, that gives us clearness, clearness of intellect. We're smarter because of it. Faithful performance of duty. Godliness tells us that we're to be faithful performance of duty. gives us relative value and peace of conscience. Our conscience won't bother us because we're doing the things that we're supposed to do. And we're performing the right way. Godliness leads to sober, honest, prudent, industrious, and that leads to prosperity in business. I know for me, the most important thing in our business is to be honest and to, be, and to have high integrity. We will absolutely not tolerate people that, are, that, that don't have that. We will let them go from our company and have done that on occasions because they weren't honest and they weren't uh, prudent in the way they did business. Security in the course of life. Godliness will give you, as Jim mentioned, we, we need to be secure. We need to know that we're going to heaven. And because of that, we have comfort in trials and calmness in death and immortal peace beyond the grave because of godliness. Godliness is profitable in all things, it makes no one poor, it prompts no one to crime, it engenders no disease. Promises no earthly riches. Godliness is profitable in all things. So we kind of roll all of that up in a package and we kind of talk about, well, what's, what's that mean? So what are you going to talk about? What are we going to talk about for the next eight weeks? Well, it's a lot like physical discipline. So physical discipline makes us physically fit. So things like diet and Pilates and sit-ups and jogging and bench presses and curls and yoga and whatever you want to throw into your exercise regiment, those things make you more physically fit. But what are we going to put in our regiment to make us more spiritually fit, more spiritually disciplined? Well, we're going to talk about prayer. One of the brothers, I, I, don't remember, I, didn't, I started to figure out who's talking about every one of these, but I, I'm not sure, so somebody is going to talk to you about prayer and how prayer can make you more spiritually disciplined in your life. How That's a tool in the toolbox to make you more godly. Somebody's going to talk about meditation. Somebody's going to talk about fellowship. Somebody's going to talk about giving, teaching, fasting, and singing. There's a lot of things that you can put in there. Just like there's a lot of different ways to become physically fit, there's a lot of things that you can do to make yourself more godly, that you can exercise towards godliness. These are the seven or eight or whatever's up there that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks and months. <clears throat> so what does all of that mean? Let's, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at a story, or it's not really a story, but it's a parallel that the Apostle Paul uh, draws when he writes to the Corinthian brethren in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in, temperate in all things. So I've got a friend of mine, uh, Aaron, uh, at work, and Aaron just ran a marathon about a month ago, about four weeks ago. He ran a marathon. He ran 26 miles. He never ran over 20 before. Somehow, he uh, says that he was training. He said, You don't run the marathon. You run about 20 miles, you get to where you can run 20 miles, and then you go out and you stretch yourself to run the 26 miles. So he never ran 26 miles, but he went out and he ran that 26 miles. Last weekend he got on a bike and rode it for 150 miles from Houston to Austin. You know, one of the things I noticed about Aaron leading up to that, number one, he lost about 30 pounds as he exercised. And he was in good shape before he started. As he exercised, he got in a routine to get ready for that marathon. When we'd go out to eat, you know, French fries, onion rings, hamburgers. You know, that's what I mean. Aaron's eating the chicken breast with vegetables. Like, he's, he's like, I've got to run 26 miles. I can't have those things. I've got to be temperate in what I put in my body because it's got to get into shape to run 26 miles. And that's what we're talking about spiritually. We're talking about getting rid of the greasy French fries and onion rings and all the stuff that's bad for us in taking in and getting in a regiment of doing the things that we need to do to be spiritual, to work on our souls. That's what we're focused on. The rest of this verse, oh, so I, I threw up some picks. This was last summer's Olympics. we got the guy on the rings. We've got the four ladies that ran the 4x400 four relay. I think they won gold. And we got that monster of a swimmer that, I don't know, won a, a bunch of golds and silvers in the last eight years. When I think about those guys, when I read about them, guys and girls, it goes kind of back to what I was saying about Aaron. They do amazing things to get into shape so that they can go compete. It's all they do until the Olympics are over. Everything, every focus, everything they put into their bodies, every exercise, everything they do, all day long is focused on the race to win it. I watched that swimmer uh, one time, I don't remember it was this last Olympics or the Olympics before that, he was racing and he came to the wall and him and the other guy right neck and neck. And I couldn't tell who touched the wall first. It was that close. He won by like one one-hundredth of a second because of the regiment and the routine and the effort and the work and the focus, the minute focus that he had. And that's the way we've got to be as Christians rest of this verse goes on to say, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. So these runners that he's referring to, and he's probably talking about the Athens games. They had Olympics-type games back then, so everybody knew what he was talking about when he was talking about these runners that run to try to obtain a prize. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, for an imperishable crown. So how much more important would that be, right? They're running for something that's going to drive and blow away. We're running for something that never will it's imperishable. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself may become disqualified. He says, so I don't run this race not knowing whether I'm going to win it. I don't, I'm i not a boxer that's fighting the air. I'm not shadow boxing this thing. This is real. This is not something that's, uh, that's, that's, that's going to dry up and blow away. What I'm talking to you about is something that's real, that's going to last forever. And he says there at the end, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And he's not talking about to run a physical race like Aaron was doing. He was disciplining his body. He's talking about disciplining your spiritual body, your spiritual soul, to run the race, to win the race, to get the crown. That's how important it is, brothers and sisters, that we develop a spiritual routine. Because if we don't, the Bible tells us we'll be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We'll be in the church, out of the church, messing around, doing stuff, going to the lake, going to play golf, going to whatever. We'll be doing what the world wants us to do because we don't have a spiritual regiment and a spiritual routine that we're supposed to be in. That's the difference between being spiritually disciplined and just kind of going through life. The Bible tells us in Revelations that kind of just going through life, being that lukewarm person is not going to give us a good result. It's going to vomit us out of his mouth because he does not like lukewarm. He wants people that are committed and that have spiritual discipline. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Second uh, Timothy, Timothy chapter 2 tells us, so the Lord tells us, not only that we're to be spiritually disciplined, but what that means, what the rules of this race are, and how to win it. So when I think about, so when I think about spiritual disciplined people, you know Hebrews chapter eleven comes to mind, right? So we call it the faith chapter, and it's got a long. They call it the faith honor roll. There, it's got a lot of people. A ton, you know, I don't know how many people I didn't count them. It's got Abraham and Joseph and Jacob and, and Abel and. Just a countless number of people there. When I think about Noah, Noah's mentioned there. When I think about Noah, a guy that for a hundred years is preaching to his brothers and sisters and telling them "There's, there's a day of reckoning coming. At the same time, he's building this ark. And he's building this ark to save himself from a flood that's never happened before in the history of mankind that's going to be created by rain. It's going to rain forty days and forty nights, of which I'm convinced he hadn't seen yet. He said the water, the earth was watered in a mist that came up from the ground. But yet he's got something within himself that keeps him cutting that wood, nailing those boards for a hundred years, and talking to the people that there's a day of reckoning coming. That's spiritual discipline to me. That's somebody that knows. And knows that he knows that God is going to live up to his promises. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual discipline. Abraham took his son to the top of a mountain to kill him. That's spiritual discipline up there, let me tell you. I could I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could offer my son. It might be different if God personally called you and told me to do it. Might be. I'd like to hope it would be. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of spiritual discipline. And chapter 11 ends and chapter 12 begins. And it begins there. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a pot of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. The race, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So one of the things that spiritual discipline does for us or requires of us is that we lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. If we are spiritually disciplined, if we're doing the things that we're supposed to do that sin that's out in the world that, that grabs at us and snags at us, it will fade away because of where you've got yourself spiritually. It gets easier. People tell me, I don't know the the, day, the the number, but if you do something so long for so many times in repetition, it becomes habit. They use the word habit. And that's what we need to develop is good spiritual habits because of this exercise program that we're on spiritually. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? For God, bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. So what this says, again, is that there's two choices out there. There's a slave to sin. There's a slave to righteousness. And if you're committed to be a slave of righteousness, that's who you'll serve. You'll serve Jesus. If you're not, you're going to be serving the world. And whoever you're serving, that's who is your master. And so the the question this morning as we start to think about this is, who am I serving? What am I serving? Where do I spend my time? You know, Brother Truman used to do a sermon and speaking of spiritually disciplined folks from everything I know about Truman that guy was either headed to a singing headed to a study headed to preach headed, I mean everything that guy did was spiritual that I know. Of. I mean I don't ever know of him going on a vacation. I know he probably did but but that guy was in involved. You think of Michael right I mean he's overseas he's taking his life he's risking his life because of his spiritual discipline, because of what he thinks is important to the church. And those are tough choices for people to make. Spiritual discipline is not always easy, but we have to be spiritually disciplined. So if we recap it, we talked about spiritual discipline, living a godly life. We said that was what the definition was, that godly life is the best life, that we are running a race, and where we're focused in that race is vitally important. And we talked about the fact that we're going to have some tools that we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks that are going to help us in uh, getting that uh, running that race and making sure we're focused in the right direction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of different things we're going to talk about, and I don't want to step on any of the, the other preachers' toes and start talking about the stuff that uh, they're going to be talking about. But you know, being together to me is one of the most important things, and Having accountability partners to doing things that you know you need to be doing. If you know you need to be reading the word more, get an accountability partner that's holding you accountable to reading the word more. They won't let you up, but that you'll also take that advice and take that help from. Sometimes your mate's probably not the best one to hold you accountable. Um, But if you need to be reading more, if you need to be going to Bible studies, if you need to be coming to church more, if you need to be, whatever the things are that you need then you know you need to be more spiritually disciplined, then, then do those things and get people involved to help you do those things. So, what does your spiritual gym look like? Metaphorically, you know, if you think about my spiritual life, what would my gym look like that I'm working out in every day? So if you can draw a picture of a gym that says, this represents my spiritual discipline. I can tell you that there's been times in my life that mine looked like this. And I hope that's not what yours looks like this morning. But if it is, there's a fix. We can renovate this bad boy. We can put down a good floor. We can get you some good equipment. And that's what we're going to try to do over the next eight weeks. We're going to try to give you some pieces and some things that you can surround your life with that will restore your gym and get it back into full operating order. There's not even a goal on that basketball back there. You can't even play basketball in this thing. We're going to try to give you some tools that will help you refurbish and rebuild your gym. Hopefully it's not like that already. But, you know, maybe even if you've got a nice-looking gym, I also had a picture up here of you know a bunch of folks on the treadmill that were working out, and maybe that's what yours looks like spiritually. But we can always add a few machines and add a few routines and, and put some other stuff in there. Let's try to squeeze the squeeze the world out of our lives and, and and put in there some good spiritual exercise for us. That's what spiritual discipline is all about. I hope you've enjoyed the lesson this morning. We uh, we stand not as your judge, but as your servants. If you uh, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need to start working on um, getting that uh, spiritual discipline back in your life, then, uh, and you'd like to talk to us about that, again we'd be more than honored to do that. If you'd like to be baptized and join the church, we can. Do that for you as well this morning. You come as we stand. And stand.